struggles in the mind. How about battles in the mind? Those are going to be gone. And I would love to preach about heaven this morning for that time when they're going to be gone, but we need to talk about here. We need to survive here. We need to thrive here. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. As much as we love to consider the glories of heaven, the Holy Spirit had the Apostle Paul to talk about a lot of instruction for this life before we get there. Because the Lord saves people and then He leaves us here. He leaves us here with a purpose and a plan and in His power for His glory. We're, we're, going, to talk about, we're going to talk about something this morning that has already happened in every one of our lives today. Maybe, maybe you realize it, maybe you don't. We're going to talk about the war in the mind. Most of us probably don't like to recall Hurricane Harvey. A lot, a lot of different things happened to a, to a lot of people. A lot of people in this church were greatly affected by Hurricane Harvey. What an event that was. I don't tell any part of my story to say there's anything bad about it, especially in comparison to what happened to so many. But south of me, east of me, west of me, two or three blocks in every direction, houses were completely underwater. I learned after that from the geography that that, that a few blocks that I live on are up on a hill. I, I'm not smart enough to buy a house on a hill, but I did. It happened. Thank God. But there were people who were confined to the upstairs floor of their house. The kitchen's downstairs. <laughs> that wasn't good, but that's where people were. You know, they were confined. They were trapped upstairs. People were trapped in their neighborhoods. They, they couldn't get out. And so a word we're going to be reading this morning is stronghold. And that's what a stronghold is. It's a situation, a habit, or a condition that holds a person hostage. Something that entraps us and doesn't let us out. Look with me at verses 3 through 5, as Paul writes about this. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
I've taught on this subject a few times through the years. Maybe I should have more. Maybe I will more. Because it is such an important subject. It's, it's such a needed truth that we share concerning the battle that is always taking place in our lives while we are here. Think about this. Every battle has its beginning in the mind. Many, many people stay defeated in their minds, and it's not even due to a reality. Something's never even going to come to pass. But people can stay defeated in their minds simply because of the thought life. Entertaining the thought life and and an unguarded thought life and, and what happens there. There are many who are continually losing in life because there's a stronghold on the mind. But there is a way for you and I to win. We are in a battle, a battle in our minds. It is a spiritual battle. And there is a way for every single one of us to come out victorious. We are going to be in a battle as long as we are this side of heaven. But praise God, there is a way to win the battle while we are in it. And there is good news here because when we consider the battle of the mind, it's a deadly battle. It's a deadly war. And our mind is the battlefield. That's where the battle starts. That's where it takes place. And so there is a war and there is a warning about it that we find in these verses. But the good news is that God has planned for us to triumph through this battle in Christ Jesus while we are here. This battle is brought to us by an enemy also. Who has declared war against us? I would ask you to close your eyes and, and think of who the enemy might be. That To picture the enemy... You think has waged war against you, but I'm not going to ask you to do that. That would persuade you and I to come up with the wrong answer. Because the one who has waged war against us is not someone we can see. We're losing the battle if we believe we can see and touch our enemy. We've lost right there if that's the case. And there are very common verses we go to for this battle in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. If so, we could fight a battle with flesh and blood, with with weapons of such. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our enemy is the devil. And the devil wants to conquer every single one of our minds. Our our mind is the battleground. 
I want you, I want to draw your attention to three words that we find in verse 5 here. The first one word we're going to see here is imaginations. Another word is knowledge. And then we go down a little bit more and, and we find a phrase, every thought. There is clearly a war. And the devil's waging it against us. And the place of the war is the mind. And he wants to be able to defeat us concerning our minds as this battlefield. Concerning the thought life. The devil wants our minds. You know, all of our brains are on different levels. But it doesn't matter concerning the corruption that comes to the mind from our enemy who has waged war against us. This is something to heed the warning of and to take it seriously. No, no matter who you are, no matter how your mind works. In one page over in my Bible, in chapter 11, verse 3, Paul says, But I fear, lest by any means... As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That word simplicity doesn't speak of a handicapping of the mind. It's actually quite the opposite. It speaks of a purity. It, it speaks uh, not only of a purity, but it also speaks of a single-minded devotion. The devil wants to distort the born-again believer's single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ. He wants our minds off of Him. Paul is seeking to protect those in Corinth. That, that God's using him to write to. He has led many of them to Christ. He spent at least a year and a half with them, training them and growing them up in the Lord. And, and there's no way not to love people when, you, when you've had a, an experience in their lives with Christ with them and had the opportunity to teach and to love them. And that's the way Paul feels about this church. And he's trying to protect them for what's coming and what's happening in life as after he has ministered to them in person now God lets him write to them and Paul's desiring to protect them as though they were his own children he he doesn't want them to be corrupted and he understands that this simply takes place in the mind he doesn't want them to be on the losing side of a battle that they can win. Listen to his heart in chapter 11, verse 2. As Paul writes to them, and he says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. There's no doubt Paul dearly loved this church. He wrote the first letter to them. And there were many things he had to address. And, and he writes in chapter 7 of this second letter, I, I, I almost repented. But when you had godly sorrow under repentance, 
I rejoiced. I rejoiced at the news of this. And, and now he goes on to, to write that I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. He's looking to help them to be a pure church. We are valuable as children of God. We have an amazing purpose. We have a wonderful Savior. We have an amazing plan for our lives. And we're not to sell out the mind to cheap, worthless things. We're not to be deceived into having our minds consumed with things that don't matter, that didn't really happen, that aren't going to happen very possibly. Paul is looking to help them for the protection of their minds because he knows the importance of it. That's why he gives a warning. And within this warning, we find the great wealth of single-minded love and devotion toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gives us victory in this battle that maybe by now all of us are saying to ourselves, yes, these disturbances, these irritations, these falsifications, yes, they're, they, they go through my mind and they grieve me and they trouble me and, and, and I do want victory in this battle. But if the devil can pull our minds away from Jesus Christ. He can't do anything about the permanence of our relationship with Him, but He can do something, try to do something about the experience of our relationship with Jesus Christ, and He knows it. Therefore, His efforts are going to be relentless toward us. He is waging war toward us. And, and this is a message for everybody today, because if you have single-minded devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in such a walk with Him. Praise the Lord and thank God for it. And if we were to imagine what the devil might say to that, it would be, just wait, I'm going to do everything I can to sidetrack this child of God. I'm going to see if I can do anything about it. The seriousness of the battle of the mind. You might think about the days of the flood. You had Noah, and you had his family who were saved, and you had the rest who were destroyed. And listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 about this. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's where it started. And look how it had to end. And there are minds that are wildly out of control today. And what's going through those earbuds? I think they're called earbuds. A lot of stuff that's going through their, those earbuds, they're not helping the situation at all. Neither is TV. If we do find something good to watch, the commercials are going to be corrupt. I record what I watch, 
and I zipped through them. I hit that arrow five times, so I can't even make out what's going on in that commercial. The videos on the phone, the movies that aren't helping the mind at all today, and and these are things that are contributing against us in the battle. This is, it's serious. The battle is real. And things are con- constantly contributing either to victory or defeat. And God has given us instruction in His Word about this. Romans 8.6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. And peace. The things people feed on, which are thought to give temporary pleasure, are ultimately causing despair and depression. I've never known of or heard of so much depression in people's lives. It blows my mind to hear of depression in young people's lives to talk to other youth pastors around the area or throughout sister churches of ours and and just to share with them the burden on what's going on in teenage lives and the, the, the level of depression that they get to. There is a battle trying to take over every one of us. We can't just leave our minds unprotected on the battlefield. We must guard our minds. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The mind is the battlefield. The devil wants to corrupt it. God communicates through it. God communicates to us through our minds. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. Paul says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, here it is, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. God communicates to us through our minds. You know, God, God impacts us, and it has an effect upon our emotions a lot. You know, some people look to gather together in some kind of religious service, and they already know what kind of emotional explosion they're going to have in their life. They've, they've planned it, and the Lord, the Lord might be watching it from the back pew. That doesn't mean there's not emotion in worship, though, but it's, a, it's going to be a result It's a result of the Word of God. It's a result of the impact of the Word of God. And as I'm about to say something, let me say this. The emotion and the mind and that communication can overlap one another. But it seems like there's just too much emphasis sometimes on emotion rather than what God is communicating to our minds. We would have to call the the emotional the more shallow of the communication from God because He is communicating to our minds. Ephesians 4.23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. God changes us by working on the mind. 
a popular verse among young people, among teenagers. I don't know if it comes from those who teach them or the teenagers who love them themselves. But Romans 12, 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What might a sign be that we're steadily being renewed and transformed in our minds as we should be? How about the attitude? How about, how about the attitude being an outward expression of what's going on in the mind? Man, I could talk a long time about attitude. We're not going to do that today. But, but attitude is important. And it reveals a lot. I applied for a job one time. And, and I, man, I, I, I went into interviews all my life saying all the wrong things. Sat down and I said, I did, look, I, hi, how you doing? I'm so-and-so and thanks for having me to interview me. I just, I just want to tell you that I don't have any experience in this field of work whatsoever. <laughs> and the fellow on the other side, I, I was about ready to get up and leave the room. I guess it's getting nervous that it had me do that. He said, don't worry about that. Attitude is 98% of the job. How important is the attitude? What does it show? Because if we're winning in this battle, then there's going to be a winning attitude that is going to be expressed from it, that's going to go with it. Let us, let us look at that. There's a, there's a preacher who grew up in the area of Houston, and, and I was talking to someone who was talking to him, and he quoted from his friend and said, life is 10% what happens and 90% how we respond. Connect that with attitude and all. And, and think about that a minute. And I, just, I hear a yes and an, and an amen here. When we, when we reflect on life, when we look back through experience of life, we find that to be true. Think think about what things are and what they become. Life is 10% of what happens and 90% of how we respond. I I agree with that. I, I reflect back and I see that. We need to judge that statement and we'll all find it very accurate. And our attitude is packed into our responses. Our attitude reflects in our responses. And the devil's trying to mess all that up. It's good to be aware of our foe. I'd love to be preaching on heaven this morning. But it is good to be aware of our foe, the devil, because he's bringing the battle to us, whether we're aware of it or not, no matter who we are. And something else to cause us to consider this war in our mind is that the battle is lost by the flesh. Look with me at verse 3. And let's see what, what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul here. For though we walk in the flesh, we do. We do not war after the flesh. Can we listen to God's Word and what God is telling us for successfulness and victory in this battle? We cannot depend on us. 
to win the battle. We don't have what it takes to win the battle. In our humanity, in our flesh, we can't win the battle. The devil loves for people to take on him in, in the flesh and just in and of themselves because he has a perfect record. He has won the battle every time in that situation. The world would have you to think different. The world says that we're a champion. The world says we can do it. The sky's the limit. Happy you year. Be happy to be you. But God is saying we can't do it without Him. Jesus says without me ye can do nothing. There's no way the flesh can overcome in this battle. And if you're anything like me, you've tried to fight that battle in the flesh before. And praise the Lord, we find out that we lose when we do. We've got to fight it in Him. Again, Ephesians chapter 6 says so much on this subject. And it helps us so much to realize that we can't win the battle in and of ourselves. That it's the Lord. Ephesians 6 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, Rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. We can't battle in the flesh. And our battle is not against the flesh. Let that go. Take that truth and let that go this morning. Because it's going to be miserable. And we're not going to win if we think our, we see our enemy in the flesh. Rulers of darkness, principalities, powers, what we can't see and what we can't defeat on our own. Our battles are not against Hollywood. They are not against a particular political party. They are not against one another. I recall... A conversation I heard between a husband and a wife. And one spouse said to the other, in the middle of a marital battle, if you will, I am not your enemy. Our battle is against the devil. Therefore, the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. We can't educate the flesh enough to win the battle. We cannot relocate far enough away to win the battle. That's not a fresh start, that's another flesh start. And the flesh start is going to lose over and over and over. It's not about people, and it's not about a place. I don't know anyone here who's planning to retire off and move to the hill country. So there's no way I'm picking on anybody here when I say this. 
And don't get me wrong, people, God does what he does with his people in some cases, but it just may be that some people are, are planning for the hill country and so excited about it and, and just imagining such a greater life there. Adam and Eve were perfect. And they were in a perfect place. And along comes none other than the devil. And he worked on aiming to corrupt their mind in that place. And it happened. And the battle is lost in the flesh. The battle is won by righteous weapons, though. Look at verse 4 with me. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into the captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The right weapons pull down strongholds. We, we started talking about the stronghold that Harvey had upon, upon us. The right weapons pull down strongholds. Strongholds, let me say something else about strongholds. Maybe, maybe a wall of resistance. There's your definition for what a stronghold is. A wall of resistance. The church that, that, that I was saved in and then, and then ended up being baptized in and becoming a member of the church... They, they had Sunday school in the, in the sanctuary just like we do, 50, 50 and over, Sunday school in the sanctuary. And then, but the difference was the, the men were in the sanctuary and the ladies had their own Bible study kind of in a corner like that but smaller. And there were three walls around it, but it was open to the sanctuary. So this accordion-type wall was put up. It was on a tracking system. I can hear it clack and clank and before Sunday school and after Sunday school even now. And they closed that wall because noise and sound would be reduced from coming through. Or anything that, would interrupt, that they would interrupt outside it, it served as a divider to help with the passing through of interruption or from anything leaking out to the other side. Satan creates strongholds, and he set up room dividers, if you will, to block the flow of the knowledge of God from entering into the thinking of the saint. He doesn't want spiritual truth to cross over into the Christian's thinking, and he aims to do so by these strongholds. Corinth's minds and attitudes, they served as as room dividers, if you will, blocking out the flow of anything good. There, there was their arrogance, there was their ignorance, there was their intellect, there was despair. And we could go, we've, we've been through First Corinthians, we can go through all the things that was going on, and, and the devil and his demon are working, were working in those strongholds, and, and they're working in these strongholds today, trying to block out the good and keep the bad coming in. Paul says he's tearing down these strongholds though for the, he says in verse 4 there but mighty through god are the weapons okay to the pulling down of strongholds how is he going to do that we know it's not paul 
in and of himself in the flesh that's going to do that. We've already cleared that. How are habits and fears and obsessions and lusts going to be overcome? Well, it's going to be by non-carnal weapons. What are those? Verse 7. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we Christ's. We have an amazing Savior. We have a wonderful commander. Jesus Christ is commander-in-chief. The devil is working hard, but oh, the effects of the cross. There weren't just effects of the cross on that glorious day that our sins were paid for. There's not just effects of the cross on that wonderful day that we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There are continual effects of the cross from a wonderful commander, and it gives us victory. Look at verse 8, and we're going to see an authoritative commission. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. We have permission to act in behalf of another. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 19 and Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 says this. Jesus says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Not with. Let me just throw in a little attitude here, that, this attitude that, that happens in this. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We have an authoritative commission and, and an attitude to have with it. But how about absolute courage? Read, let's read on from after 8 in verses 9 through 11. That I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For, it, for His letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but His bodily presence is weak, and His speech contemptible. Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. And I'm not going to expound and break all that down, but just say that right there we see absolute courage that we are able to have in this battle. And we need to set a guard for our minds so that we can be so. We're to guard our minds. It is important what we think. And what, what better Scripture for us to consider about what our minds are on and what we think than Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. We have so much to guard our minds with, and it is desperately 
desperately needed. When we're talking about, and when we're thinking about what's right, we can't be thinking about what's wrong at the same time. We're going to think about not both, but one or the other. Can we look to Jesus? Can we listen to Jesus? Can we love Jesus to win against this trap that's holding us hostage? I heard a story that happened during Harvey. I heard the story after Harvey of of someone's home, and the entire first story was flooded, and it started rising up into the second story, and it kept on rising. And I'd I'd never seen the house. I don't know the particular details of the windows. I don't know if they had burglar bars on them. I don't know if the windows were shaped funny. I don't know if the person just, just couldn't get out of them for physical reason or whatever. But they couldn't, and the water was rising on them. And this person was was probably in their late 60s. And so they never imagined they would do this probably. But as the stronghold had them held so tightly there, they swam down the stairs. Probably never did that before, never do that again. They swam down the stairs and out the front door and up and made it out of that stronghold. We never need more than Jesus, okay? But it may be that that someone needs more of Jesus this morning. Not that you didn't get all of Jesus when He saved you, but in, in our experience of Him, in our looking to Him, in our listening to Him, in our loving Him, the strongholds are broken down. And I don't know what might be on someone's heart this morning or the reason for this message, but, but let us obey God today. Whatever the case may be, whatever's going on, in your heart. Praise God if He has disturbed us concerning this subject and has shown us our shortcomings, maybe shown us our failures in this, but also shown us the way to victory that we can look to Jesus. He's a wonderful Savior. He's a great commander. And He breaks us free from those strongholds. The battle is always going to come at the mind as long as we're here. But there is a way to win as we go. God God would have it no other way. His plan is to give you and I victory and success through it. And if you're here this morning, as this message has been for the Christian, mostly, if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, would you like to become one? By simply understanding that, that we're all sinners... But in your case, you're, you're a sinner and your sins keep you from a holy God. But because of the love of God, He gave His Son in our place as our substitute to die on the cross for our sins. And if you will believe that in your heart and if you will trust Jesus Christ, 
to save you from your sins, guess what will happen this morning? That very thing will happen. He will save you. No matter who you are here this morning. I don't need to, I don't need to be a prophet of any kind. There's, there's no more today in that way. And I, I'm not saying that uh, I know anything about you. But, uh, but we know the Lord's salvation. And, and he'll, he'll save you this morning. Guaranteed to save you. Will you trust Him as your Lord and Savior? Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do bow before you today and we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your Son. Lord, your Son, who not only died on the cross, was buried and, and, and raised again, but intercedes for us at the right hand of God even now and helping us in this battle. And Lord, as we consider the things that have hindered our Christian lives, that have only taken place in the mind, that you don't want there, that you will take away from there. I, I thank you that we can be mindful of that today and how to have victory in these situations. Lord, help us to look to you in a greater way. We're, we're not meant to suffer as we have in our minds in that way for, for any length of time. That takes us out of your will that takes us out of doing what you would have us to do. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for providing for us. I thank you for your word that tells us that how to live and to walk in victory while we're here. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If everyone could please stand.